Hello, you're about to hear a preview version of a premium episode of Blocked and Reported. If you want to hear the full thing, go to blockedandreported.org. For just $5 a month, you'll get full access to three extra episodes, just like this one, every month, as well as access to a vibrant community of fellow BarPod obsessives. Thank you, and please enjoy the preview. Hey, Jesse. Katie, how would you like a classic Brooklyn story? <sighs> I guess. Go ahead. So there I was. <laughs> <laughs> at a taqueria I'd been wanting to try called Nene's Taqueria. Uh-huh. This is in gentrified Brooklyn. And I order, and I'm excited to taste it because everything smells good. This guy is at the ordering counter who is just like the stereotype of the white Brooklyn hipster. He has this long sort of cloak-like garment. He has a mm-hmm. camera around his neck. Is it a film camera? Yes, like a film camera. He's mm-hmm. ordering in Spanish, and you can tell he... White guy, I assume. Yes. You can tell he's so mm-hmm. excited to be able to order in Spanish. His Spanish is not very good, but he's so excited he has a chance to practice in Spanish. He draws out the conversation with the woman behind the counter. He asks how to say tip in Spanish, which I knew, propina, and... He's just really drawing out the conversation. He's taking up her time when surely she has other shit to do. The best part, a guy gets behind him, not to stereotype, but he's wearing a hard hat. He's a construction worker. I can tell he's Spanish speaking. He probably needs to get his lunch and then get back to work. He has to sit there and listen to the white hipster practice his Spanish for like three more minutes, totally unnecessarily. So that's Brooklyn, basically. Mm -hmm. Good story, Jesse. Thank you. I do my best. I think think my stories have really been improving. Okay. So if I were going to... To gonna tell like retell this story, I would say Jesse ordered a taco. That that's the whole story. Mm, that would be completely yeah, inaccurate. What did you get? I ordered a um, mulita Ooh. and a quesadilla. Quesadilla. Can I uh, can I tell you a story? Yeah, go for it. As long as it's at least as good as that one. We'll see. We'll let the we'll let the customers judge. We'll do a vote. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna call our listeners now. The customers. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, I went to a holiday party. Not something I would normally do, but I'm trying to be a better spouse. So I went to a holiday party uh, with my with my wife. My wife. My wife. You do ever say that, honestly? No. Okay. Well, you should. And uh, there was a woman at the party who was sort of looking at me like where do I know you from? And she came up to me and we started talking. She said that. She was like, you look so familiar. And I said, well, I do have a podcast. Realizing the moment that it came out of my mouth that this was just the most humiliating thing that somebody could possibly say. Yeah. It also doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. At which point she said, no, I think we've met before. Nice. I'd say... That was an equally good story. I think mine was better because mine was mine was like a little bit humiliating to me. Yours was only humiliating to somebody who nobody nobody cares about the dude in the cave. Mine had some personal yeah. connection. Okay, they they were both fine. Well, we could sit here and tell all our amazing stories all day. Maybe we'll do that in a future episode. Instead, we're going to talk about. I wish we could loop in the X Files music here. The Twitter files. What is the X Files music? Isn't it like? I can like I can hear it in my head, but not well enough to sing it. I can so. only hear when I'm trying to hear it. I can only hear the SVU dun dun, dun like the long dun dun dun. That's not yeah. that's not this. What's anyway? The, Off to a good start, Katie. How would you sum up the Twitter files to someone who came up to you at a party and was like, "Do I know you?" Also, tell me about the Twitter files. Oh, that nothing burger. <laughs> no, I would say it was it was somewhere between 
a nothing burger in the Pentagon Papers. <laughs> it's right there in the middle. Something between a Big Mac and a nothing burger. Uh huh. It's an Impossible Burger. Nice. Impossible Burgers are great. Yeah. I um. I've just been poking around on this, and like, I, I want to have a slightly scattershot conversation with you because like, there's a lot here. But I felt like just as interesting as the conversation was the sort of meta conversation, oh, totally. like the rush on the part of some journalists. You know, Ben Collins just does the yawn emoji, which yeah. is like. Okay, Ben. Yeah. We know you're not intellectually curious. You don't need to say so this explicitly. Yeah. Do you want to explain what the Twitter files are first? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's basically these – these uh, Elon Musk struck a deal with Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger, and um, Matt Tite. Well, I think it was under – I think Michael Schellenberger was under Barry's – Under yeah. Barry Weiss, right. So, yeah, Elon Musk struck a deal with Matt Taibbi and uh, Barry Weiss where – he would apparently give them access to all these Twitter files, Slack logs, email, stuff like that. Uh, we don't know. I don't think we know what the other conditions are other than that they would – whatever they published about this trove of documents, they would publish on Twitter first. Are we aware of any other conditions? No. I would imagine those were the conditions because I think Barry's been pretty transparent. Basically, there was a little bit of a a weird rollout. Matt first announced that he was going to be doing this, publishing this in his Substack, and he said I had to agree to some conditions or a condition. Uh, he probably said some conditions in order to to publish this, but he didn't say what they were. I like Matt. I think he's a, a good reporter. I think that was a mistake to not be totally transparent at that moment because that immediately became a, sort of used as evidence against him. Uh, in the rollout of these files. And it turns out that Twitter is not a great platform for long-form journalism, especially if no. Matt Taibbi is the one doing it because he has trouble, like, numbering his, <laughs> his tweet threads. Dude, a couple times I've tried to, like, organize really long tweet storms. It's just not – it's actually not easy and known. No. It's not a good way to communicate. Because, like, think of how many tweets it takes just to communicate, like, three rich paragraphs worth of text. It's tricky. Right, right. And I was imagining Matt doing this on his phone because he was – it was like – he was, like, slowly rolling them out one by one. I think Barry threaded the whole thing and posted it all at once, which was probably For better. some reason, Matt's just on like a 1980s-style old school yeah. word processor. <laughs> That's what it looked like. <laughs> With like an adding machine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I See, now I can't remember where I heard it. I thought it had been established officially that they had to release it on Twitter, but either way. Oh, no, they did. They did. Okay. What do you think of like the overall ethics here of sort of working with Elon, whose goal is apparently, as we'll get to, to make the past iteration of the company look as bad as possible? I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And I, I do think there is something fraught about taking documents that have that are clearly intended to uh, make the company look bad. Although then again, every time somebody leaks something, and this was like a very transparent leak in some ways, every time somebody leaks something, they have an agenda. Uh, in this case, I think the agenda was really clear. Um, and as long as there's some some verification and some back-end reporting and they're transparent about, about what the quid pro quo was, and in this case, I think the quid pro quo was you get the docs if you publish them on Twitter, I don't see anything wrong with that. It is still fraught though. Like a lot of people were just saying – like this is PR, like Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss are doing PR for the richest man on earth. That quickly became the catchphrase almost uh, yeah, immediately. Yeah. What do yeah. you think about that? Were they doing PR for Elon Musk? Anything that everyone starts to repeat in unison, I'm going to be skeptical of. I think totally. like you're saying, anytime someone 
you're working with basically a source in that manner, people will accuse you of being co-opted by it. So I think you just have to judge it on the journalistic merits of what was revealed, which yeah. which we'll get into, but I think we're a mixed bag. I I don't know. I the the people saying you're doing PR for the richest man in the world, think of some of the worst journalism we've seen on like internal strife and at, at Netflix or Google where right. the only sources are activists and you're literally just echoing whatever their claims are with no pushback. Okay, in that totally. case you're getting co-opted by someone else. Maybe that's not maybe it's all co-op co-option, co-optation. Maybe it's like none of it is, maybe it's somewhere in the middle, but it's all like the same thing of like you work with a source who you're basically sympathetic toward. Yeah, and in some ways, this actually was more transparent because we know who the source is and we know what his motivations are. And a lot of reporting, you're yeah. not going to get that. Um, yeah, I thought the rollout was pretty messy. And I and I do not think this was actually the Pentagon Papers. As much as much like for all the attempts to downplay this, specifically among generally among like liberal mainstream media reporters. This idea that this was also something akin to, you know, a, the, a global scoop. Also, I, I don't think that was true either. I thought um, someone pointed me to Katie Natopoulos's tweets on this. She said, I think it's wrong to completely dismiss the Matt Taibbi Twitter files as being totally boring. It's extremely interesting to see the inner discussions around big decisions. Any news outlet yeah. would have loved to have this scoop. It's just not the scandal as teased. Uh, she continues, it's like it's interesting to watch that Mr. Rogers video about how crayons are made because it's fascinating. <laughs> well, actually, I think the analogy breaks down there because like these are actually like really important decisions and questions about censorship. But I'm until the crayons thing, I'm I'm sympathetic to her. And, and the I got drinks with a tech journalist who pointed me to her tweets. And he was basically like, whatever you think about sort of the magnitude of the revelations, these processes have been completely opaque and it's really how can you not find it interesting to see how these decisions are made behind the scenes especially in like high pressure situations like with the hunter biden laptop story or the question the uh, question of whether to deplatform president trump yeah i think that's absolutely right and it would be interesting if we could have a parallel universe where elon musk <laughs> didn't like draw this in the lap of two journalists who a lot of people in mainstream and liberal media hate. But if this had been, you know, if he had like.